Okay, good evening everyone. Um, uh, we're going to start now, so let me open us in prayer and then we can, we can jump into God's Word. Father, thank you for, again, the privilege of being able to study your Word and uh, look at these, these very important books in the Old Testament, very memorable books, especially Jonah. We ask that you would keep us from error, help us to understand your Word. And may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are we're going to be looking at Jonah. We'll start off with Jonah and then we'll be looking at uh, Micah, then uh, Nahum, and then Habakkuk. So uh, start with Jonah. These uh, four books, uh, short books, uh, not very long. You can read it in sort of 45 minutes, the, the, these four short books. And um, Jonah, as I said in the prayer, is probably the most memorable one. We're, we're all familiar with Jonah and the, the whale or the fish. Uh, people make a big deal of that. Was it a whale or was it a fish? Uh, just remember those distinctions are, are, are developed much later, you know, distinction between a mammal and a fish and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't think it's legitimate to, uh, to make them now uh, or when the scripture was written. Okay, so Jonah is a prophet around about 760 B.C under the reign of Jeroboam II in the northern kingdom in Israel. So, everyone remember when Israel is, is uh, destroyed, defeated, conquered by the Assyrians? Anyone remember the date? Uh, 722 BC. Okay, so... Just 722 for the northern kingdom and 586 for the southern kingdom. Those two dates are important. You know, try and keep those two. So Jonah's like 40 years before, well, 38 years. Yes, yes. Yeah. So he's he's before the the destruction of. He's bef- he lives before the destruction of the northern kingdom by the Assyrians. So it's the Assyrian Empire that arises. So again, let me draw the map. Maybe it's, it's uh, boring for some of you, but I, I, uh, it's, it's very important. The more you can get it, the map in your mind and can see it, the, the more scripture becomes meaningful. Sometimes we just read the names and then we're, well, you know, I don't really know where that is. Mm. But uh, we, if we get a, a framework for the world of that time, I think it can be very helpful. So, and because our Mediterranean Sea, uh, Egypt is down here. Everyone see that? And then uh, here's the Jordan River, the Lake of Galilee. The Jordan River continues, the Dead Sea. Jerusalem is here, so this is uh, Judah, 
the southern kingdom, and Israel, the northern kingdom. Jerusalem is in the south. <clears throat> Nineveh is over here. It's about a thousand kilometers away. And uh, Babylon is over here. Where's, what, what, uh, which water spans was he spat out of? Yeah. Eh? Wait, so where was he escaping to? Okay, so we'll get to all of that. Okay. okay. So, so we'll he get... got spat out and then had to walk a thousand miles. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. yeah. So. Um. Okay. So, Jonah is a prophet to the northern kingdom, to Israel under Jeroboam the second. So Jeroboam the first was the first ruler of Israel. Remember, after Solomon, the kingdom is divided. Jeroboam. Uh, becomes the king of the northern kingdom, and Solomon's son, Rehoboam, becomes the first king of Judah. <clears throat> uh, this is now Jeroboam the second, so this is later on. And the Nineveh later on becomes the capital of the Assyrian Empire that then comes in and conquers Israel. But it's not yet a powerful empire. So it's, it's not yet a, uh, become the empire that it will be. Nineveh is not yet its capital. Um, so God, God saved them so they might destroy Israel. No, no. Um, not, no, no. We'll see that because we're going to get to Habakkuk. And, and, uh, um, well, we're going to see God's judgment. Sorry, not Habakkuk, to Micah. No. Um, Okay, so that just gives us the, a bit of the world of the time. So Jonah uh, is mentioned in Kings as a prophet. So um, he's mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14. So he prophesies there. This is a time of prosperity for Israel, uh, even though Jeroboam is not a good king. He's not a godly king. God has been gracious to to Israel and um, uh, Jonah prophesies uh, this. Okay, prophesies the expansion of the Northern Kingdom in in Kings in Second Kings. Here, verse one says, "Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me." But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So if you, you know, we've been reading the prophets. This is very un, uh, unlike a prophet, isn't it? Uh, we, if, you, if you didn't know the book of Jonah, you would expect the next verse to say, and so Jonah left and went to Nineveh. You would expect him to obey, but he doesn't. And we're told he, he tries to flee from the presence of the Lord. That's quite important. Uh, of course, you cannot flee from the presence of the Lord. God is omnipresent. In fact, the psalmist says, even if I make my bed in, in Sheol, in the grave, you are there. Uh, even in hell, God is there. Okay, uh, Because he's omnipresent. Uh, there's, no, there's not like a... The, the only place, if, if God were totally to forsake someone or something, they would cease to exist. Okay? So... Um, 
it's it's a uh, he can't do that, but he chooses to flee from the presence of the Lord. Probably the idea is to flee flee from Israel, viewing you know that's God's place. I'm going to flee from Israel and Jerusalem, and he goes down to Joppa, and there is this picture of where is Joppa on the map? On the map? Oh yes, good point. Uh, Joppa's over here on the on the coast here. Um, he flees to Joppa. So notice it says he goes down to Joppa. We find this descent as Jonah seeks to flee from God. He goes down to Joppa. We're told he goes down to Joppa. Uh, then he gets onto the boat. Um, and he goes down into the depths of the boat. And then he goes down to sleep. And then he gets thrown in, into the sea. And then a, a fish takes him and takes him down into the depths of the sea. Okay, and so it's symbolic of this rebellion. If you're going to rebel against God, the only way is down. Okay? And really, when we get to chapter 2, we'll see that his experience here is a type of hell. Because really, if you're going to say, I want to flee from the presence of God, uh, that's hell. Okay? So um, uh, we'll see that in, in chapter 2. But there is this rebellion. Now, uh, a beautiful sort of pointer is... Uh, to the New Testament. Anyone remember where Joppa is mentioned in the New Testament? It's in the book of Acts. So remember when um, it's Acts chapter uh, 10, when uh, Peter is there. Remember Peter battles with accepting Gentiles into the people of God. And he has that vision of the unclean animals. On the, on the sheet. Yes. Uh, that's, so he's in Joppa, and we're told, who, anyone know who Peter's father is? He's called Peter Bar <coughs> Jonah, Bar Jonas. Oh, Peter, the son of Jonah. Okay. okay. So <coughs> there is a direct link. It's not, he's not the son of this Jonah. Yeah, this is, I don't think. No, no, it's literally his father is Jonah, but in Scripture these names have meanings, mm-hmm. and so just as uh, Jonah here did not want the the Gentile Ninevites to be saved, Peter himself mm-hmm. is in the same city, and we're told he's the son of Jonah. Typologically, in 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 character, he is behaving similar to Jonah. He's battling with the Gentiles coming into the people of God. Mm. He battles his whole life, it seems. Okay, so he, he, he has these dreams, these visions. The Lord says, take and eat. And then he, he goes to the house of Cornelius and he eventually realizes, wait a minute, if God has called people clean, then who am I to say that they're unclean? Okay, if God has saved Gentiles, then they are clean and they are are uh, equal to to Jews who are saved. There's no second-class citizens in God's kingdom. Uh, but later on, Paul talks about this in uh, when he writes to the Galatians. He talks about Peter when when uh, when some Judaizers came up. Peter was eating food with Gentiles, and some Judaizers, those who were were, were enforcing Jewish religion. Old Testament religion came, he, 
he got uncomfortable and he moved away from the Gentiles and went and sat with the Jews. And Paul is there and Paul sees this and rebukes him publicly. He stands up in front of everyone and says, why are you doing this? You are not what you are doing is not in step with the gospel. Okay, so he Peter battles with this. Really, he battles with racism. That's what mm-hmm. Peter battles with because he 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 battles to see the Gentiles as equal to the Jews in God's kingdom, and so he, he it's something. But it's noteworthy that he's in Joppa. We're told he's Simon Bar Jonas, uh, Peter, the son of of Jonah. And where where's Tarshish? Okay, so. Goes down to Joppa, pays a price to go on the, on the boat. Verse 4, uh, sorry, verse 3, and found a ship going to Tarshish. Tarshish, we believe, is in Spain. Okay. Okay, so you've got your map. You've got, this is modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, that comes up here. This is crossing the Mediterranean. Crossing the Mediterranean, you're coming down to Greece here. You're going to Italy, and then... All the way along, eventually, to Spain over here. So basically, it's the end of the, the known world. The end of the world they knew. Okay. He's saying, I want to get as far away as... It's like us saying, I'm going to Cape Town. Like, there's nowhere further unless you go to the... the, the whatever the... Antarctic. Yeah, Antarctic. So that's what he's saying. I want to get as far away as possible. Maybe God can't get me there. And he, he tries to flee. Um, but... Verse 4 says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. One of the main features of Jonah, the book of Jonah, is God's sovereignty over nature. He hurls a great storm. He, he controls a, a great fish, a whale. He uh, appoints great heat. He, he grows a plant overnight. He destroys it overnight through a worm. He's in control of, he's sovereign over nature. Okay? And that's still the case. God is absolutely sovereign over all things. But another thing is, is uh, what, um, uh, what, what literary scholars call giantism. So one of the features of, of this book is everything is big. You know, they say everything's bigger and better in Texas. Mm. Everything's bigger and better in Jonah, okay? Mm. It's a great storm. It's the end of the earth. It's the whole city repents. It's a giant fish that swallows him. It's... It's all on a massive scale. Everything is big. So is everything being big is still literal? Yes, yes, I believe so. There are people who argue that Jonah is a parable. Yeah, I was going to really? ask because it doesn't... Do we know who wrote? So, um, uh, we don't, but that's, we'll leave that for the end. Okay. Um, it doesn't fit a parable because in parables we don't... Uh, normally get people's names and we know Jonah was a historic figure okay so he was a real person and Jesus refers to Jonah as a literal person okay and he refers to to three days and three nights um, in the belly of the fish so Jesus doesn't seem to take it as a parable like a thing when Jesus goes to hell for three days or something like he dies and is raised in three days yeah so we'll get to that yeah so it's a Connected. Yes, big connection between them. Okay, Okay. so uh, there's this great storm. Um, everyone is afraid. They start throwing everything overboard. Jonah goes to sleep. And uh, the captain wakes him up and says, what are you, why are you sleeping? He says to him, uh, call out to your God. Verse 6. 
perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So really, remember they're polytheists at that time. They, they believed there were many gods. Okay? Um, and they were, uh, I think we've touched on this before, they were henotheists as well. So a henotheist is different to a monotheist. A monotheist is someone who says there is only one God. There are no other gods. There is only one God. A henotheist is someone who says, there are other gods, but we have this one God. Okay. This is our God. The tribe down the road, they have their God. And that one over there, they have their God. So that's what he's saying. Here. Hey, you bring your God as well. We all pray to our gods. Let's add another one in. Okay. Uh, maybe we can sort this thing out. And um, then they, they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they're saying, this must be a judgment. Okay, let's cast lots. And God is sovereign over the casting of the lots. The book of Proverbs says that. Um, whenever you throw a dice, it's not random. God is sovereign over that. Um, he's sovereign over everything. Are you saying gambling is okay? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that. <laughs> Whatever it lands on, God is sovereign. Um, uh, and that it ends up pointing to Jonah. And they say, what's happened here? And he said, look at what he says in verse 9. And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, see it's capitals, Jehovah, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah, is, he says, I, the God I, I serve is the true and living God who made everything. Okay? Who made the sea and the land. Okay? Who made all things. I, I worship the true God, not the God of my little area. I serve the God who created the whole world. Um, then they're very afraid. They say, what have you done? And then he says to them, what you have to do is throw me into the sea. Okay. The only way this is going to be sorted out is if you throw me into the sea. And uh, they don't want to do that, but eventually they, they, they end up doing it and they call out to the Lord. Look at verse 14. Therefore they called out to the Lord and that's Lord in capitals. They are praying now to Jehovah mm. And they say, O oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O oh Lord, capitals again, have done as it pleased you. And so they pick up Jonah, they throw him into the sea. Immediately the, the storm is calmed. <clears throat> and verse 16, Then the men feared the Lord, Jehovah, exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. I believe that these, these people are saved. They're now praying to the God of Jehovah. They say they, they make vows. Now, vows meant they were going to go to the temple. Okay. Okay. They're making sacrifices in the name of Jehovah. So this is one of the remarkable things. Another theme of Jonah is that of reversal. Okay, we saw that in the book of Esther as well. Uh, here, Jonah says, I don't want these pagans to be saved. I'm going to run away from God. And what happens? Pagans over here get saved. Okay. <laughs> so God... He, so... How... To play devil's advocate, one could say they were, they were just praying to God because they were just afraid in that moment. It, it's not the way it's written, you know, because okay. they, they're using God's covenant name, sacrifices, vows... It, it seems a lot stronger. Um, so I, the, the, I think it's legitimate to say this. They, 
they get they they come into contact with the true and living God, and they now praying to Him and offering sacrifices to Him. And so this shows us that even our sin, God will use for good. Okay, which is quite remarkable. It's not a license to sin uh, uh, at all, but it's only God who can do that. And we saw that in Genesis fifty. Remember the the sin of the brothers when they sold uh, Joseph. Mm. Um, into slavery. So even your sins and my sins, God will still use that even for good. Many are playing a man's heart, but God's plans will prevail. Yeah, he's in complete control. And it's an encouragement. So, um, you know, we, we've all sinned, obviously. And even that God will use for good. And the greatest sin ever committed is the, is the murder of Jesus. And yet it's done the greatest good. So... As I said, it's not a license to sin, okay? But just remember that in their brokenness, God will even use that and make something beautiful out of it. So these guys get saved. He's now in the belly of the whale. Well, he's into the sea. And then we see verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. That phrase, the Lord appointed, again, refers to his sovereignty. We we see it again in... Chapter 4, verse 6, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah. Verse 7, God appointed a worm. Verse 8, God appointed a scorching east wind. Uh, again, reiterating God's sovereignty over, over nature. And he's, he's swallowed up by this uh, fish. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And uh, the Lord refers to that in the New Testament. Okay, so we're, we're told um, about this account in Matthew 12, 39 to 40, and Luke 11, 29 to 30. But we'll come back to that later on. Okay, but it is referring to his, his burial. Okay, burial. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus' burial. And what happens to Jonah now, because chapter 1 is really like an action movie. It's been full of action. You know, God comes, he runs away, he goes here, he gets on the boat, he's, mm-hmm. there's a storm, they, they, they pray, they, they cast lots, they throw him overboard, sacrifices. Chapter 2 immediately slows down, right down. It's a prayer. <clears throat> then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. Now notice what he says. He now refers to his time in the, the belly of the whale as in the grave, as in hell. And so he really, in a sense, he's getting what he wanted. Okay. Uh, he tries to flee from the presence of the Lord in a, in a certain sense. We can't, remember what I said, you can't, you can't fully get away from God because then you would cease to exist. The only reason we exist is because God upholds us. Um, so, so that's what Augustine says. Augustine, Saint Augustine, and many other Christian philosophers have said, hell is God giving you what you actually want. Okay. Now, at first hearing of that, you might say that's ridiculous. Nobody would want to suffer for eternity, but it's that's what autonomy leads to. So, if you say I don't want to listen to God, it will lead to suffering, and and hell is the place where God says, okay. Um, again, I forget who said it. Uh, thy will be done. 
C.S. Lewis said it. There's only two types of people. The people who say to God, God, your will be done. And people to whom God says, your will be done. And God hands people over to what they want to be free from God. And to be free from God is hell. And now he's in this, this type of hell in the belly of this whale, which he calls the grave. And he says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. And remember the sea is a picture of, do you remember when we did Exodus and the flood and all of those things? Chaos and judgment. And so that's what's happening to, to Jonah. And he talks about there, this, it's a very poetic image about the waves and the billows passing over him. Look at verse 4. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. But that's what he wanted. I want to be away from God's presence. But he still has faith. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Okay. He then talks about the deep surrounding him. Weeds are wrapped about my head as the roots of the mountains. I went down, there it is again, down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. If you're going to follow idols, there's no steadfast love. But I, sorry? No steadfast love from God. Yeah. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. So he's confident that he will, he will come again to the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, and so he's, he's repenting here. He's, he's saying, you can't go this way. You can't forsake the love of God. You can't run away from him and turn away from him. Um, this Jonah belongs to God, and so God doesn't let him go. But he, it's a horrible time. Okay? He may well die during this period. So the, just as Jesus dies and rises again, maybe Jonah died I, you know, while he's in the belly of the whale, and then God resurrects him. Um, mm. it's, we're not told. He goes down into the belly of the whale. I, I, you know, if you're in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights... I, yeah, but it's, uh, it's divinely ordained. Yeah, but it's, we're not told he so lived there. If in the, God's going to do that, he can keep him in there alive. And yeah, but he can also kill him and resurrect him. Going to pray if he's dead. No, no, he doesn't die straight away. It takes a while. So while he's... Oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't die instantly. That's what the Bible will say then. What? It doesn't say either one of them. It just oh. says he prays. Um, okay, so... Uh, there's lots of things that uh, the scripture doesn't tell us, so we, we, we're just saying it may be. Because it's a type of Christ, and Christ does die, and then he rises again on the third day. But it's not a, it's not a hill to die on, but um, it's three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. And they talk about the stomach acids and all of those things. And um, so, okay. At the end of his prayer, he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. So, again, absolute, the sovereignty of God's salvation belongs to the Lord. And then the, the, the fish uh, vomits Jonah out upon the dry land. And so that comes out to what Damon was saying earlier. In, if, you, if you have children's storybook Bibles, you normally have sort of this the sea mm. and this beach. And then over here you have a little town. Yeah. And Jonah comes out here and there's, 
and that's that's where we get the idea from but he's in the mediterranean sea there's no shortcut you know this is landlocked yeah he is spat out on the on the the riviera and now he has to go a thousand kilometers still okay uh to to nineveh and he goes but he still hasn't learned his lesson okay chapter three then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So the Lord has to tell him again. You need to go. Um, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. So there's this, this giantism. It's a great city. Three days' journey in breadth. Yes, sir. Jonah no, be- one city. One city, yeah. Sure. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And you can read about it. They all, they all repentant, and they crying out to God. Verse 10, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Okay. So they cry out in repentance. Now notice that's, that that uh, Jonah, um, and he gets upset just now. He's just simply proclaiming judgment. He just says, "In forty days, God's going to destroy the city." He doesn't say, "If you repent, there's hope." Mm. It's not a full message. In fact, he wants them to be destroyed because he's going to go and sit and watch that it happens. Okay. Um, and he's very upset that the Lord does not destroy them. So he's just simply saying, God's going to destroy you. Okay. Yes, my boy. Wasn't there, I think Jonah was something like that was, some, like he knew that Nineveh and would be a, would be an enemy. Yeah. So they had plagued them in in history before then. They they used to grab them. The Syrians had and their slaves and whatnot. No, no. Uh, that's the that's the Assyrian Empire later. That's the one. So remember, it's not chronological. The they books. Created them for a reason. Because they're Gentiles, and but he he may well have known as a prophet that one day God is going to use them. Mm. But but um. Uh, so Nineveh was always there, and then the Assyrian Empire Yes. Okay. And eventually they made Nineveh their capital. capital. Okay. And then after the Assyrian, remember, then it's the Babylonian okay. Empire. So. What kind of people lived in Nineveh? Because, like, from like what I like browsed through, it seems like they were well, at least for the time, quite backwards. Why? So, okay, it might be jumping. I mean, it's a huge city. It's it's a okay. I think yeah. So, like the last verse of like. Yeah, it speaks about like... Oh, not knowing their left hand. Yeah. Okay, we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, No, remember, this is sort of... This area is really where civilization begins. This is, you know... Okay. The most advanced societies, historically. Okay. Um, Okay. Um, Okay, so so what's going on here? So, So it's remarkable that... All that Jonah comes in and says, in 40 days, God's going to destroy you. And the people cry out to God, maybe he will be merciful to us. So that they're not told, you know, but if you repent or anything like that. Now, if you turn to Luke chapter 11. Um, 
Okay, verse 29. It says, When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. So, notice how Jesus talks. He says that Jonah was a sign to the people of Nineveh. Jonah himself. Okay. What sort of sign was Jonah to the people of Nineveh? Well, I think the, uh, the commentators, some of them have said this, and I think it makes the most sense. You see, Jonah's life was a sign because he had disobeyed God. And God had been merciful to him and brought him back. Okay. So, uh, however they knew that story, um, they knew that God, had, this God, the God of Jonah, had been kind to this man, Jonah. Even they though, knew that. Well, that's the only way you can put it together, because Jonah himself is a sign. It's not saying Jonah's words or anything like that. It's saying Jonah himself was a sign to the people of Nineveh, so that... Um, because, I mean, news gets around, okay? Okay. Um, you know, in, in the ancient world, all of those things. So, so Jonah kind of becomes like a legend. He himself is a sign to the people that if we repent, maybe this God will be kind to us like he was to, the, to his prophet. Okay. okay? okay. And so they, they cry out and they repent and they put sackcloth and ash. They even put it on the animals, okay? They're very, <laughs> it's a holistic Mm. repentance and God sees it and he he says okay I'm not going to destroy them and then we see chapter 4 now the Jesus said as Jonah was assigned to Nineveh so the son of man will be assigned to this generation what what sign was Jesus Jesus himself was a sign that there is there is forgive there is salvation Mm. the cross is a sign that there is forgiveness that our sins can be forgiven and as Jonah, remember Jonah is a Christ figure because Jonah says, you want this storm to stop? You want this judgment to end? Throw me into the sea. Put me to death. He didn't know a whale. Or any, you know, he didn't know no, what. No, he, he said, in the of the sea, he he said throw me in. Uh, so he, and he was uh, giving them the permission to do it. Yeah. Where Jesus allowed them to take He laid down his life. He didn't give his, if he didn't give the permission, he would have. It would never have been. Delivered to dust. Yeah. So he's a Christ figure, and he lays down his life. Then he goes down into the, the, the belly of the well, into the belly of the earth, which is a picture of hell or the grave, death. Christ, as we know, dies. Uh, and then he's brought back on the third day, and so is Jesus. And so Jonah himself is a sign to Nineveh of the mercy of, God, of this God, the God of Israel. And Jesus is a sign of the, of the forgiveness and grace of God. So, um, I think it's really beautiful. Jonah, though, is, he still has issues. Uh, I mean, the whole city repents. Like, if you imagine you preach a really short sermon, and, you know, the whole, the whole of Janusburg repented. We should be rejoicing. Jonah's not happy at all. Yeah. Jonah is still moaning. Look at verse, chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. It's a very strong word. He's not just a little bit unhappy. He is very unhappy. And he was angry and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? 
That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Isn't this remarkable? Uh, What does that passage sound like? Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Corinthians? No, no, from the Old Testament. Oh. When God reveals himself to Moses. Um. Remember that? Um... He reveals himself to Moses. Um, so it's a... It's a well, on, on, um, on Mount Sinai or on the green bush? Uh, in the rock. Remember he says he hides him in the rock. Oh, and oh, then he says, okay. this is the Lord, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and mercy. He's quoting that exactly. And so Jonah is saying, this is why I ran away, because I know the type of God you are. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know you are a God who forgives people. I know you are a God who's merciful. I knew you would forgive these people. <laughs> okay, it's remarkable. He says that he, he knows God so well that he says, "I knew if I went there, you would save these people." Okay, <laughs> so uh, it's it's terrible of Jonah, um, but but he he uh, that's that's who God is. God is gracious and loves to save people and loves to save people from all nations. Well, I think he probably did foresee that this would be the instrument of judgment. I, I remember someone uh, once they spoke about they used to plague the. Um, that's why he hated him. As a child, his town was destroyed or something like that, or by these sexual people. No, the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire is not yet. No, no, I'm talking about not Syrian. No, I'm talking about Nineveh. The Ninevites. Ninevites. Yeah. No, I've never read that. That's probably a bit of poetic license, but, oh, okay. I, but I don't think there's any evidence of that. Um, I mean, it's far away. It's only as they become a great empire and seek to conquer everywhere. And the, remember, we said the Assyrians were very cruel. Mm. Um, we saw that last week. But they're not yet there at this point. But So probably Jonah did have an inkling that... And remember, these are all... The surrounding nations are just enemies. Okay. So the Gentiles, that's where this, this is where it develops. And that's what happens to the Jews is that they become isolated and bigoted towards the other nations. Remember, they're supposed to be a light to the nations, supposed to reach out to the nations and show them what God is like. Um, so, so, yeah, so it's a, uh, he's upset. So, um, he's very upset, and if, if you were at church on Sunday, we read this passage, and uh, Natalie were, and I were sort of laughing, because it is sort of childish, because he's, mm. he becomes, uh, the Lord talks to him, and says to him, because um, uh, he says, Lord, take my life away from me, it's better for me to die than to live, okay, so very, very melodramatic, yeah. <laughs> um, it's better for me to die, and the Lord says to him, end of verse 4, do you do well to be angry? Um, and Jonah goes out the city um, and he sits down and he makes a little tent for himself and he sits in the shade and he's going to wait to see what will happen. He's going to wait for the 40 days and and, and um, then verse 6, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might give shade for his head to save him from his discomfort. And notice what it says there. So Jonah was... 
exceedingly glad because of the plant. Remember, when God saved the whole city, he was exceedingly angry. He gets some shade. He is exceedingly happy. He, he is he's super happy now. He's got a little bit of shade. So his personal comfort is, is what is giving him pleasure, not the salvation of other people. Um, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said to the Lord, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do, do, you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Okay, you see, he sounds like a little, a little child. Huh? Yeah. But that's, that's what we're like at times, isn't that right? Mm. We're, we're petulant and foolish and we are more upset about our own personal comfort mm. than people being lost. Okay? Uh, and the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? So he says to him, look, you didn't even make that plant and you, you're upset about it. I made all these people. Okay? Shouldn't I be concerned about them? And it's almost like the Lord's being sarcastic. If you're so concerned about plants and all of these things, well, there's also a whole lot of cattle there as well if you're so worried about those things. <laughs> But what does it mean? Don't know their left hand from their right hand. I think it just means they don't know the Lord. Um, That language of left and right hand was also used of the priests. Um, Not not saying they don't know their left hand and their right hand, but in service. So it seems to be a way of a shorthand way of talking about serving God. Okay, they don't serve the true and living God. Okay, it was like an idiom. So the Lord is saying to Jonah, "Shouldn't I have mercy on these people who don't know me? They don't know the truth." Why missionaries have always gone out? Because they said, these people don't know the truth. They need to be saved. They need to to know the truth. And that's where the story ends. It's quite a shocking ending. We don't hear Jonah. We're not told that Jonah then repented. He probably didn't. But we have the story. So I think that's proof that ultimately he did repent. Because, you know, he's the only one here... And probably went back. And so I think it tells us something about Jonah that he, the story ended up being written and it's there. And really it's, 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 it's also to, to Israel and to Judah. It's, and it's to all of us. What, what makes you happy? What makes you exceedingly happy? What makes, you know, we're told that, what do the angels in heaven rejoice over? One sinner who comes to repentance. They don't, they don't rejoice over the rand strengthening or <laughs> the springboks winning or whatever. I'm not saying it's evil, those things. I'm saying for all of us, the most important thing is that people know the Lord, that they get saved. And that's the question to Israel and to, to Judah and to Peter later on, the salvation of, of, of all people, all nations. Okay? Go and make disciples of all nations, the Lord Jesus said. So it's a it's a fantastic book, um, very very powerful. Any questions on, on the book of Jonah?
Okay, so let's do Micah quickly. Um, uh, Micah is a, uh, a um, contemporary of Isaiah. So we're back in the 8th century, so in the 700s mm-hmm. BC. So remember, it's not, really, it's not sort of chronological at this point. So we're jumping around. He's sometimes called Mini Isaiah. So dates around about 740 BC. He's a prophet to Israel and Judah. And he sees the destruction of Israel by Assyria. Okay, so that's probably where where Jonah gets it from. Okay, sorry, I should have said that. From Micah. Okay. Um, so all pretty much in the same era. No, no. So like Micah, Micah's earlier. Micah's like 100 years earlier. But he would have read Micah's prophecies. Wasn't Jonah 7.60? Uh, sorry, sorry, you're correct. Yes, yes, sorry. Yes, yeah. Just Con- confusing <laughs> <enough>. <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah, so they're contemporaries, yeah. Um, so he probably heard it from Micah. So the destruction of Assyria. Um, uh, it's poetic. You can see it's different to a narrative. You can see that in, in uh, your Bible, the way it's written. And it's in three sections. Each section begins with the word here. So verse 1 says, The word of the Lord that came to Micah, Moresheth, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So this is where it sometimes gets confusing. Well, who's Samaria? Well, Samaria is Israel. So sometimes... It's, it's the northern kingdom, sometimes called Samaria. Really? Yes. <laughs> That's why I remember when Jesus goes to Samaria, and there's the Samaritans. That's in the north. Oh, the Israelites are Samaritans. So they, they, they uh, it's called Samaria, but the Samaritans later, like the woman at the well, John 4, remember we spoke about this, they were they intermarried. They were Jews who intermarried oh, with okay. with uh, Gentile nations. Because remember when the Assyrians because when they spoke about the, the Good Samaritan, they like that is like the that freaked them out. Or they shoot off of them. Yeah, Israelite. Yeah, mm-hmm. because they said, "Look, you are not pure Israelites." Because now they weren't. That's not the case at this time. It's just the area was called Samaria. Okay, yeah. but after seven twenty two, when when they were invaded, then the Assyrians would would would. Um, disperse a country and bring in other foreigners, okay? To try and dilute the identity of a country that they conquered, okay? So they were very clever. Um, Okay, so uh, chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 2, here, you you peoples, all of you, chapter uh, 3, verse 1, here, you heads of Jacob, and chapter 6, verse 1, hear what the Lord says. So there are these three sections, these three speeches. And um, it's really, again, about judgment. Okay? So there's these three oracles. Jerusalem and the temple are repeated regularly. And so it's proclamation of judgment, because again, because of their sin. Um, very similar to what we've seen with the prophets, but I'll just point out some distinct things. Uh, look at chapter 2, 
verse 6. Do not preach. Okay, that's in quotation marks. So they're saying, don't preach. They're, they're telling, you know, Micah and the prophets, don't preach. Notice what he says, do not preach, thus they preach. Okay. Do not prattle. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Uh, verse 7, do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly. Um, now, what they're doing is they're saying, stop Stop saying all these things about judgment. Okay. Give us, tell us, tell us nice things. Mm. Don't say disgrace will come upon us. Just disgrace and shame won't come upon us. Um, uh, verse 11. This is what the Lord says. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink. He would be the preacher for this people. Okay. So if they had a preacher who came and said, you know, get drunk, it's fine, you know, just live however you want. God will never do anything bad to us. Uh, that's, that's one of the, what's happening. They don't want to hear the truth. Okay. Um, they want preachers who will tell them nice things. And that's exactly what Paul says. They have itching ears. They want to hear nice things, things that tickle their, their ears. And of course, that's natural for all of us. We would rather hear nice things than be, be told the truth of judgment and sin and res- repentance. Much nicer to be to have your conscience soothed that the way you're living is fine and, and you don't need to worry about it and it's all good. Um, and that's exactly what's happening at that time. Um, chapter 3, the second oracle. Uh, Look at verse 11. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. So notice what he's saying. The system, the religious system is all about money. Hmm. Uh, Sound familiar? Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. So they're saying, Nothing bad will ever happen to us. Very similar to the prosperity message, which is all about money mm. and blessings and everything is going to be good for you and just give us money and your life will be great. Um, and the Lord says, no, there's going to be judgment. Um, but in the midst of this judgment, as we've seen with the other prophets, there are also, uh, there's also hope. Okay. Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord, sorry, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And the latter days is um, this, this last days period okay, that we are in now. Um, so during this period, God's kingdom is going to be established. And look at verse 2. And many nations shall come and say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. And so again, one of the primary aspects of the coming of the kingdom of God is that the nations will come in, which is exactly what Jesus said. Go and make disciples of all nations. Mm. And so we see this prophesied here. Um, Verse... 
6 as well talks about the lame coming in and those who have been afflicted and God bringing in all them in. Um, chapter 5 then, we have one of the most famous Old Testament prophecies. Verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. So the promise of the Messiah, the ruler, is that he will come from Bethlehem. And the, the interesting thing is, the Jews knew this. They understood this prophecy. Because remember when Herod says, the wise men come to Herod. We're looking for, we're following the star, we're looking for the king. Mm. And Herod goes and asks the religious guys, he says, you know, what's going on? Where's he, which, which place? And they go and they check the scripture. They say, Bethlehem. Mm. Bethlehem's the place. From this. They understood that this is a prophecy about the Messiah. He's going to come from Bethlehem. And you can't... And they're still rejected. They're still rejected, yeah. It's, it's the madness of man. Now, you can't... You see, these are, these are things that you can't, you can't will yourself. You can't be in your mother's womb and say, I'm going to will myself to be born in, in Durban. Okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, can't, you can't manufacture those things. Okay? This is, this is God's sovereignty again. That, and, and I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful story. Remember, they're not even from Beth, Bethlehem. They don't live there. They have to travel there. Egypt. Uh, no, no, that's, that's later. Um, they, they have to go for the census, remember? And so they travel all the way to Bethlehem. And then Jesus is born in Bethlehem, exactly as the scriptures predicted. Okay. Um, Chapter 6, verse 1, hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains. Remember, we've said that before, that the witnesses are often the mountains or creation is used as a witness. Um, Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, etc. Uh, Verse 6, with what shall I come before the Lord? Okay, So what does the Lord want from us? And bow myself before God on high. Shall I come before him with burned offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. See, so he's saying, you know, what does the Lord want? Does he want you to do a whole lot of sacrifices? We've seen that already. Hopefully you've seen that all the way through the Old Testament. That's not the focus. Because you can do sacrifices and not love God. You can do all the things, all the things of religion and not love God. But you can't do justice. You can't love. You can't walk humbly with God unless you know Him. Unless you're saved. Okay, so um, it's interesting, verse uh, chapter 7, then there's a shift because now it's personal. Woe is me. Okay, so Micah now talks about himself. He's not talking about the nation and, and just telling what God says about the nation. Woe is me, which is very similar to Isaiah. Remember that, hey? chapter 6. Woe is me. Mm. I am undone. He says, For I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat. Verse 2, The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for, 
for blood. Um, verse 5, put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. So he paints this terrible picture of what's happening. Breakdown of society. Of, of the closest relationships. Mm. And the answer is, but I'm, I'll trust the Lord. Okay? Mm. I have to trust the Lord, even in the midst of that. And remember, Jesus said that. He said, don't think I've come to bring peace. I've come to bring sword. Mm. Because if you, in a family, if you're going to follow Christ, it can lead to division. That's, that's what the Lord, the scriptures tell us. It's not saying that every time, but it's a real thing. And remember what the Lord Jesus said, if you love mother or father more than me, you are not worthy of the kingdom of God. Okay? If anyone or anything else is more important than Christ, then you're not worthy because he's the, he's the greatest treasure. He's, he's infinitely more valuable than anyone else. And if you really want to love anyone else properly, you'll love Christ more. That'll make you a better lover of everyone else. Okay. Um, so if you want to love others more, love Christ more. Right at the end, beautiful verse 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. We've seen that already. That's those same sort of words coming from Exodus 34. We saw it in Lamentations. This beautiful, they always go back to the character of God. He forgives. He loves. He does not stay angry forever. He will again have compassion on us. He will, he will tread our iniquities under our feet. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. So I remember one... one uh, Pastor, uh, when I was a, a lighty, he, he used to say this: "God's going to cast all our sins, cast all our sins into the deepest sea." And he puts up a sign that says, "No fishing." Okay, <laughs> they're gone. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you're sworn to our fathers from the days of old. So it ends on this this beautiful hope, forgiveness. Mm. Um, and so to remember that that's the character of our God. This is who he is. Steadfast love. Slow to anger. And even when he does get angry with his children, he doesn't stay angry forever. He has compassion. He tramples our sins under our feet. He casts them into the, the depths of the sea. Because of Christ, our sins are paid for. They're dealt with. Okay, okay so let's, um, let's take a break uh, now. Uh, so, yeah, we'll just take a short break and then I'll, I'll send a message.